0: You're listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scotts Hill Baptist Church, visit our website at scottshill.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale. So glad all of you are here today. If you're a first time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor. We are glad that you have chosen to be with us today in the full house as we're gathering as a faith family. Those of you who are watching us online, thank you for joining us and inviting us into your home. We wanna invite you into our home. We wanna invite you to come and be with us on a Sunday morning so you can gather with us and experience the things that we are experiencing together as a faith family. Well, we are in a second week of a new series that we started last week called Unleashed. And Unleashed is a series that's focusing on breaking free of the restraints that are keeping us from living a rich and a full life in Jesus Christ. Last week, we began this by focusing on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and that's the central verse through this whole series. But last week, we began with the first restraint, and we called that restraint comparison. And we know how difficult comparison is in our day, particularly with social media. And last week, we saw that there are three problems with comparison, that comparison robs us of our joy. Comparison negatively impacts relationships, and comparison creates a false sense of reality. And then last week, we saw how to kill the comparison in our life, and we said that there are two ways to do that, to run the race that God has for you, not somebody else's race, but your race, and secondly, look to Jesus as your standard for living, Not the influencers of the world, but the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, enduring its shame on behalf of you and me. And so last week we looked at the restraint of comparison. And if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go online, listen to it, because I think it's very, very applicable to where we live today. But today I want to talk about a second restraint that keeps us from the richness and the fullness of a life in Christ. And that second restraint is unforgiveness. It is a restraint that is running rampant in our culture today, and unfortunately, even in our churches. I love what C.S. Lewis once said about forgiveness. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Isn't that true? We love the thought of forgiveness, but when someone hurts us, when someone mistreats us, our flesh kicks in and what we want is we want them to pay us something for what they've taken from us. We think people owe us something. We say things like, you owe me an apology. You owe me restitution. You owe me respect. And when someone hurts us, and they don't give us what we think we deserve from that pain, then the natural inclination is for us to seek to inflict that same kind of pain on them. It reminds me of the story of the little boy who was sitting on a park bench. And he was sitting there and he was grabbing hold of those rungs and he was pulling tightly and his face was just grimacing in pain. And he was squirming on that bench and this man walks by and he says, young man, are you okay? And he says, yes. He says, well, you look like you're in pain. He says, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. He said, well, why don't you get up? And here's his response. Because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. What a beautiful picture of unforgiveness. It's a beautiful picture of unforgiveness because when people hurt us, we think we have the right to hang on to that pain and to try to inflict the same amount of pain that we are feeling from them. Somebody has rightly said this. Unforgiveness is you drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's unforgiveness because we think we have this right to hang on to it. Unforgiveness is a lot like carrying a a bag of rocks around with you all day. And every time somebody hurts us, we drop another rock in our bag. And as we begin to carry this bag of rocks with us, it begins to weigh us down. It begins to be heavy on us. And we live our lives carrying things we don't need to carry. And people begin to recognize that our lives are going to be filled with two major emotions when we live in unforgiveness. Those two emotions are anger and resentment. And they always follow a heart of unforgiveness. A a, a website by the name of everydayhealth.com has looked at people who carry this habitual life of anger and resentment with them. And here's what they discover how it impacts their health. That anger can damage your heart. Anger can cause a stroke. Anger weakens your immune system. Anger increases anxiety and stress. Anger is linked to depression. Anger can damage your lungs. People who are angry are sick more often And anger shortens one's life. People who live a habitual lifestyle with anger and resentment have all kinds of health and mental issues. I love the way David Jeremiah puts it in his book of Facing Your Giants. He says that anger goes through this evolution process. And when we become angry, we begin this process of different responses. The first thing he says is we nurse our anger. We build a little nest and we put our anger in it and we want to protect it. And after we nurse it, then we rehearse our anger. We go over it in our mind over and over again. We make the list of all the people who have hurt us and we keep reciting them in our heads. Thirdly, we converse our anger. We begin to talk about it. We tell other people about it and they begin to see the issues of our own hearts. And then finally, we disperse our anger, don't we? We express it in a way that's very harmful. And we live in a culture today that's really odd. We've given ourselves the permission to use anger as a tool to express ourselves. But more often than not, that anger demonstrates who we really are. Now, there is a righteous indignation for sure. But the problem with men's anger is it doesn't stay righteous that's why James writes and says that the anger of man never brings about the righteousness of God. The Mayo Clinic writes um, some statistics of people who practice biblical forgiveness. And those people who practice forgiveness of the people who have hurt them in their past, the, the, the results are opposite of those who walk in anger, For example, those who practice forgiveness enjoy improved health and peace of mind, improved relationships, improved mental health, improved immune system, lower blood pressure, improved heart health, and a greater sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Now, as we look and continue in this series, we want to look at this issue of forgiveness and how significant it is In fact, we find that even medical journals are picking up on the importance of forgiveness. One medical journal writes this, that it's not surgery, it's not a medical treatment or a new medication, but there is a new healing process that doctors are convinced has many hidden health benefits and it's something you can't get in a pharmacy. The process is forgiveness And more and more, doctors believe that it heals. You know what I love? I love when the secular world finds some new truth. (laughs) Don't you love that? We found this new truth. And these are age-old principles of God's word that are proven and true and will deal with our lives and impact our lives in such a way that we can live to the fullness of what God wants in us through Christ. So this morning, we're going to deal with the issue of forgiveness, and we're going to look to the one person who taught about forgiveness more than anyone else in Scripture, and who also modeled forgiveness perfectly, and it's the Lord Jesus. So take your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 21. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to have the scripture on the screens. You, you can, um, there are Bibles in front of you and the, uh, the seats that, that are there. You can also go to YouVersion and you can click through that system and you can find all of the notes that'll be on there today. But what we want to do is we want to look at what God's word has to say about forgiveness. And we're going to look at the person who modeled it and taught about it more than anyone else. And that's Jesus Christ. And when we get to Matthew chapter 18, we're really dealing, the beginning of that chapter deals with church discipline. It deals with a brother or sister who's in sin and going to them and asking them to repent of that and to be restored to the body. But in the midst of all of that, it comes in verse 21 where Peter asks a question to Jesus. And the question deals with the issue of forgiveness. Now, let me say something about this passage that's really important. This whole passage is not so much about how to forgive as much as why we are to forgive. Because once we understand the why, then we can know the how. And this whole passage deals with the underlying reason you and I should practice forgiveness. So let's begin. Peter asked Jesus the question, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter asked Jesus this question. How many times when a brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Here's the first truth we need to remember about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a universal need. Every single person needs forgiveness. Peter begins by asking the question, assuming that somebody's gonna come and offend him. How many times must I forgive somebody who offends me? The question is not if someone will hurt your feelings. The question is when will they hurt your feelings and what do you do about it? Because every single person in this room has been offended by someone. Some of you are carrying unforgiveness, maybe from a spouse, maybe a former spouse. Maybe you're carrying unforgiveness because of a business partner, maybe a sibling, maybe someone who has hurt you in your family, or maybe a neighbor. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a church that hurt you. And so what happens is we're all carrying rocks to some degree. And the question is not if, but when. And so Peter understands that he will be offended, and so will you and I. But there's another side of it too, that we will offend others. You and I will offend other people. We will hurt people's feelings. We will mistreat them. We will do things to them that will bring pain and suffering. And so we not only do things to hurt people, we experience hurt from people. So Forgiveness is universal because we need to extend forgiveness to other people and we need to receive forgiveness from other people. Now, you and I may sin and offend one another, but our offense towards one another is not nearly as great as our offense towards a holy God. And no matter what anyone may do to you in your lifetime, it will never compare to what we have done in our relationship with God. We've all sinned against him. And that sin is very significant. Let me tell you this, it matters who you sin against. It matters who you sin against. If you lie to me, you might hurt my feelings. And if you lie to me, I might address that lie to you, but I'll not do anything other than that. But if you lie to a federal judge, it is perjury, and you can go to jail for five years. If you trespass on my front yard, I'm probably not gonna call the police. I'll probably call your name, and I'll say, come over, let's have lunch. Now, don't come trying me out next week, okay? But if you trespass on the White House lawn, and climb over the fence, and run toward the house, you will probably be shot dead. You see, it matters who you sin against. And it matters who I sin against. And we can sin against one another, but listen carefully. Every sin we ever commit is ultimately against God. Every single one. And so when we recognize that we have all sinned against God, we've all fallen short, we all need his forgiveness. Every single person in this room, every single person on this planet without exception. So forgiveness, the need for it is universal. We all need it. So the first thing is that forgiveness is a universal need. But here's the second thing we see in this. Forgiveness is to be unlimited in nature. That means it's to be without restraints. Let's go back to what Peter asked Jesus in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now, Peter's being spiritual. You got to understand this. The rabbinical teaching of the day is that you only had to forgive a person three times. Three strikes and you're out was the rule and the rabbinical teaching. If someone came and offended you three times, you no longer were required to forgive them beyond that. Peter says seven times. Peter is wanting to win the Mr. Spirituality Award for Jerusalem 32 AD. He is wanting to try to impress Jesus. The rabbi said three times, Peter doubled it and added one more for good measure seven times, surely Jesus is going to be happy with me. He's going to think I'm so spiritual. And by the way, seven's the perfect number, isn't it? Well, Jesus burst his theological and self-righteous bubble in verse 22. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of you read that and you say, wait a minute. I thought it was 70 times seven. Well, there's a discrepancy in some of our translations. Some translations will say 77 times. Some translations will say 70 times seven. So is it 77 or 490? The discrepancy comes in the the difference between the Hebrew Bible and the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Both of them are in reference to Genesis chapter four, where this guy by the name of Lamech, says that Cain will be avenged seven times, but Lamech 77 times. And so the Hebrew version takes it to 77, and then the Septuagint translates it 70 times seven because both could be accurate. The issue here is it doesn't matter whether it's 77 or 490. What Jesus is really teaching is that our forgiveness towards one another is to be unlimited. It is to be without count. We don't keep a measure of how many times we offend each other. The issue is not about mathematics. The issue is about mercy and continuing to demonstrate forgiveness. All we have to do is look a little further on what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, not only does everybody need forgiveness, but the forgiveness towards one another is to be unlimited. Now I know some of you are pushing back right now with what Jesus is teaching us. Some of you are thinking, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Jesus calling us to be enablers? Am I to enable people to take advantage of my mercy? Am I to enable people to take advantage of my grace? Am I just to let people run all over me and just take advantage of my compassion and my kindness? And we want to push back on that. But let me remind you of this. Doesn't Jesus do the same thing for us every day? Listen to me, believer. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't have a three and out rule? Aren't you glad Jesus says, listen, once you get saved, I will forgive you three times. I'll even forgive you seven times. But after that, we're done. That's not how the Lord Jesus operates in our lives. How many times do we sin against him every day, yet we go to him and we're covered in his grace and his forgiveness? How many times do we unintentionally sin and we ask for his forgiveness? How many times do we choose to forget to sin and yet we know we're going to count on his forgiveness and his grace? Just as the Lord Jesus forgives every believer multiple times every day, Jesus is not asking us to do anything he himself doesn't do. So forgiveness is to be without limits. We're not to keep a record of how many times people offend us because the Lord Jesus himself doesn't keep that with you and me. So forgiveness is, to, is universal. There's a universal need for it. Forgiveness is to be unlimited. Now, you think that was tough? Jesus is about to blow everybody's mind with forgiveness. He tells this parable that is brilliant. He tells this parable that really captures the heart of forgiveness. And here's the third part about biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is to be unqualified. Unqualified means this. It doesn't matter the size of the offense. It is to be forgiven. It doesn't matter how big the offense is or how little the offense is. It is unqualified. The size of the offense is Is not the issue. We are called to forgive regardless of the depth or the hurt or the pain. He tells this incredible parable that really the people who are listening and for you and me, it should just blow our minds. Beginning in verse 23, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this was a very wealthy king. And, and we know he was very wealthy by just what the people owed him. He had a number of people that he was doing business with. He's selling accounts, and one of those owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 was the highest number that they used in the Greek language. It might as well have been infinity. But when he says 10,000 talents, the people who heard it were just, what? We can't comprehend infinity, so let me help you understand what it was. One talent was worth about 15 years' wages. And when you say 10,000 talents, we're talking about 150,000 years of pay that he owes. Now, let's put it in this context if he made $30,000 a year, that would be $4.5 billion that he owed this king. Or if he made $60,000 a year, that would be $9 billion that he owes this king. And so the picture is an incredible, insurmountable debt that you can't even comprehend. 150,000 years worth of salary $4.5 billion he owes. And then what happens? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Things escalated badly quickly. The king knew he couldn't pay, so he just ordered Okay, you're going to be sold. Your wife's going to be sold. Your children are going to be sold. You're going to lose all of your possessions, and no one in your family will ever experience freedom again. And a man falls on his face. He begins to plead with him. Please, sir, please have pity, have mercy. And what does the king do? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What just happened? You clearly don't really fully see the depth of that because none of your mouths are hitting the floor right now. 4.5 billion, 9 billion. The king looks at him with compassion and kindness and sees there's no way you can ever pay. You know what? Let's just call it even. You're free to go. I see you when I see you. Have a nice life. Unbelievable. That kind of debt that he would release. Now, one thing we have to understand about forgiveness is it's never flippant. When we read this story, sometimes we think, okay, it was kind of a flippant thing. He said, but no, let me tell you four things about forgiveness that we need to always understand. It's not flippant. Why? Because forgiveness always considers the facts Forgiveness doesn't deny the hurt. It doesn't deny the pain. It doesn't deny the struggle. It doesn't deny the fact that somebody mistreated you. Forgiveness always considers the facts. But secondly, forgiveness does not condone the sin. Sometimes we think if I forgive somebody of something, then that means I condone what they've done. No, Jesus forgives us and he never condones our sin. Forgiveness is not condoning sin. Thirdly, forgiveness cancels a debt. The word forgiveness literally means to cancel a debt. You owe me nothing. And the last thing is forgiveness closes the book, it's closed. Never to be discussed again from that standpoint. That's what forgiveness is. Now, here's the problem that you and I have. We love to grade our hurts, don't we? I can forgive that little white lie. I can forgive what what you said about me. I I might even be able to forgive this, what you've done to me, but but I could never forgive that. The pain that you caused me in that is so great. There's no possible way I can ever let that go. I have thought over the years what I would forgive and what I would want vengeance for. I know I'm the only unspiritual person in this room, (laughs) right? But I have. I mean, I want to be like Jesus so much, but I think, what would I do if somebody harmed my wife? What would I do if somebody took the lives of my kids? What would I do if somebody kidnapped and harmed my grandkids. And I'm thinking about these things and I'm thinking about the kinds of things I would forgive and the kinds of things that I would want to take vengeance for. And then I'm reminded of who the characters are in this story. God is the king, the rightful ruling king. You and I, we're the servants. The debt is our sin that we could never, ever repay. And that's the truth. Because even though our sin is so great, 150,000 years would never be enough time for you and me to pay off the sin debt that we have to a holy God. And because he loved us so much, he sent his son, and it was our sin that put him on the cross. It was our sin that caused him to lose his life. It was our sin that caused him to be humiliated. And yet in the midst of that, Isaiah says God was pleased to crush him for you and me. Why? God would crush his son so he could forgive us. And when I realized the debt, of his forgiveness towards us for our offense to him. There is nothing anyone could ever do to us that would be greater than what our sin did to Christ. Nothing. And when it comes down to that, we have to understand that we can never grade the hurt that people brings to us or even that we bring to others. You see, forgiveness is a universal need. It is without limits. It is unqualified in the sense that there's no sin that is so great that we are not to forgive. None. Here's the fourth thing. Withholding forgiveness from others is unconscionable. Now, you think we just blew our mind with the previous debt that we owe. Here's the dark side of this parable. See what kind of emotions it doesn't elicit in you. He set this slave free. The slave has just been released from $4.5 billion of debt. He leaves there. You wonder what's happening in his heart and his mind, but Jesus tells us but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days wages. Not 150,000 years wages, a hundred days wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Let me ask you, what emotions does this stir in you? This guy who's just been released from $4.5 billion, he walks away completely free of the debt. He sees a guy that owes him a meager amount. He seizes him, he chokes him, he, he listens to his pleas, but with no mercy has him thrown into prison. Astonishment, unbelief, righteous indignation, all of that would be right because that's exactly how the Father feels when you and I have been forgiven so much and we will not forgive others. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind to one another, tend to heart it, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget the forgiveness we have from Jesus? But we do not want to offer the same grace to people who've hurt us. Isn't it amazing how many names we might have on a mental list that we would love to seize, that we would love to choke, that we would love to inflict the kind of pain that we have felt from them onto them? and walk boldly in the grace of Jesus and, come, and, and declare that we are his children, it is unconscionable. And just as that stirs our own hearts to anger when we see a servant do this, can you imagine what it does to a holy God? And when we refuse to let each other go and forgive the debt and cancel it and close the book, we're forgetting the very thing that the Lord Jesus has done in our own hearts. And the hallmark of a believer's life should be this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And our lives should be characterized with the kind of forgiveness and grace that we have experienced from the Lord himself. So, it is unconscionable that you and I would live in a life refusing to grant grace to people regardless of the offense to us. Here's the last thing, number five. Unforgiveness carries unintentional consequences. What happens whenever we refuse to forgive? There are some unintentional consequences that come. Here's how Jesus tells it. He concludes the story. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and rightly so. And they reported to their master all that had taken place. They went and said, You're not going to believe this. You know that guy that you just set free from $4.5 billion? He threw a guy in jail for $100. And in anger, the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Interesting, the word jailers there in Greek is torturers. He gave them to the torturers, not the executioners, the torturers, until he should pay all his debt, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. He was right in calling him a wicked slave. He was right in holding him accountable for that. Now, there are some interpretive challenges in this passage because we have to ask the question, is Jesus saying that our forgiveness from God is proportional to our forgiveness of other people? And if we don't forgive other people, God doesn't forgive us. Well, we know this, that if we're children of God and we confessed our life to him, we've, we we've repented of our sin, we surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus, we are placed in the righteousness of Christ. There is a positional righteousness that will never leave us. We will not be unforgiven for the work of Christ in our life. He's not saying that you will lose your salvation or that, that God will no longer forgive you. There are really two points here that Jesus is making. The first is this, that the clear hallmark of a believer's life is going to be a life of forgiveness. But when there are times when believers do not practice forgiveness, God turns us over to torturers. And what are they? Resentment, anger, no peace in our life, In fact, there are two main unintentional consequences. Let me give them to you. Number one, pain from the memory. Pain from the memory. You hear people say forgive and forget. Let me tell you, we can never forget. Buried in the crevices of our craniums are thoughts that can emerge at any moment from the past. But let me tell you, you do not forget forgiveness is not removing the memory listen carefully forgiveness is removing the stinger from that memory so it no longer hurts and when i set a person free and i cancel the debt and i close the book the stinger of that memory is removed and every day i remind myself that i've set them free but here's the second unintentional, is the prison cell of our own making. People who refuse to forgive build a prison cell for themselves. And this is a prison cell that's much more formidable than any prison cell made with bricks because it's made out of bitterness. Not rebar, but resentment. Not steel, but self-righteous claim to our pain. And there are people who refuse to forgive and they live their lives in a prison cell. And the people who have hurt them are free. They're going about their lives. They're enjoying life. But the people who've been hurt and are hanging on to this pain are the ones who have locked themselves away in this dark dungeon. And every moment of their life is thinking with resentment and anger, how can I get back? And they have no freedom to do so. And when we live that way, We put ourselves in a place of darkness and the torturers are always there. But it's when I set people free that I become free. And the stinger is removed from the memory and the memory becomes just a thought. Frederick Buechner wrote this many years ago. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, this is a feast fit for a king. The only drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you is you some of you are hanging on to pain and you're carrying it around like a bag of rocks and it's weighing you down and the Lord is challenging you today to set people free to say you owe me nothing Maybe it's an ex-spouse and God is saying to you today to release them. Maybe it's a business partner who has hurt you and you've been hanging on to the pain of the past and God is saying, cancel the debt. Maybe for others, it's a parent who abandoned you and your whole life you felt rejected. And you're measuring your worth based upon their failure. And God is saying, close the book. Maybe it's a child who's let you down. They've hurt you. You've poured your whole life into them and they've rejected you and they don't call they don't come around and there's resentment. And God is saying, set them free. You see, in our minds, we have a list of those who have hurt us. And some of you are living in the pain of the past and the prisons of your own making. And the Lord Jesus, today, brother and sister, is calling you to cancel the debt, to close the book and to forgive them as God has forgiven you. You will be free. And some of you are staying in the grips of the torturers way longer than God ever wants you to be. The prison door is open. And Jesus is saying to you, come, come out. Forgive. Release. Release. There's some of you this morning who are not believers and that means you haven't considered Christ. You're carrying much more than what's in this bag. You're carrying a debt that you can never pay and a debt that you can never release. But Jesus died for those sins. And what he's saying to you today as an unbeliever is, hey, I paid the price. Give them all to me. Surrender your life to me and I will forgive you every debt. And not only will I forgive you, I will come and live in you and I will empower you and I will change you and you will be mine forever. That's what he's calling us to. And dear brothers and sisters, it is time for us to release the hurt of the past because the enemy wants to use it to enslave us. God wants us to release it to free us. I don't know where you are, but you don't need to carry this because Jesus has already paid for it. Follow him forgive and you will be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness of us and your kindness towards us and your limitless grace that is ours daily. Oh, dear Father, would we follow the character of Jesus and today lay down those things that we consider to be rights and release them to you. Father, may we destroy the ledgers in our minds with names and hurts and what people owe us. And will we cancel it and close the book. Father, enable us To be people who demonstrate that forgiven people are forgiving people. Father, for those who are without Christ this morning, I ask, Father, that they would consider Jesus and that they would yield their lives to Him right now. If you're here this morning hearing my voice, or you're online listening and you're not a believer, I would encourage you to pray this prayer right now. just, Just pray it to yourself, not out loud. There's nothing secret about the prayer, powerful about the words, but it's just your heart. Would you just say, dear God, I am a sinner and my sin has offended you, but I believe Jesus Christ is your son and he died for me and he rose on the third day and right now, I give to him the rocks of my life. I surrender everything to you, Jesus. My past, my present, my future. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and giving me life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash steps Till next time.